0: Thanks for listening to the Trial Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Bill Wilichka. Bill is one of Canada's most recognizable and respected television personalities, perhaps best known as MuchMusic slash Music's longest-running on-air personality. As an award-winning host, producer, and editor, the back of his baseball card shows career stats of interviewing over 5,000 music legends, actors, athletes, politicians, and even royalty. He's also been a weather presenter, not a meteorologist. Bill's most recent adventure finds him co-hosting Global News Morning on CKWS in Kingston, and he's got an autobiography coming out soon. Welcome, Bill, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Well, I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for the invite. It really means a lot, Andrew. I do appreciate it. And I didn't know I even had my own baseball card. That is awesome. It is, in fact, a much-music baseball card, and I'm going to send you a copy of it because, and we're going to talk more about your hair, but it's got a great shot of your hair. Go to eBay and sell it, and you'll probably get uh, 12 cents for it, (laughs) and you never know. You're on the air currently 6 to 9 a.m., but I imagine your day starts much earlier. What is a typical weekday like for you when you're hosting Global News Morning?
1: Uh, great question. Uh, I'm up at 3. Uh, I, I'm usually at work by 3.30 here in Kingston. Uh, I live in the East End. It doesn't take well, – there's not a lot of traffic at 3.30 in the morning. So that's probably about the only good thing about working an early morning show. Well, the other good thing is my day is done by noon. So after the show ends at 9, yeah, I'm prepping for the rest of the week, taping interviews, uh, answering millions of emails. There's always something to do. And uh, yeah, I get into work at 3.30 because we're live on the air at 6. Again, it's all the prep work and
0: preparation. Very important to get far in life. Absolutely. So it's just like you're eight years old, Bill. You have to go to bed after the first period of the hockey game. <laughs> no, it's true. Except on Fridays, I can stay up past eight. It's awesome. Yeah. Do you regulate your week? Because some people recommend, going you know, to stick to a schedule if you stay up late and sleep in on the weekend that's going to screw you up for the week or are you able to manage that
1: oh i just nap i love napping uh even on the during the week uh, i'll nap when i get home uh on the weekends i'm napping if i'm not doing anything i love naps they're my favorite thing on earth Uh, i'll I'll even nap at work don't tell my boss though
0: we will not tell anyone now this is the toronto legends podcast and a big part of your career was in toronto but we got Mm -hmm. to talk about kingston everybody loves kingston you've now been there more than a decade what is so great about Kingston? First of all, I love Toronto. I miss
1: Toronto. Um, I was just back there for a wedding last week. Uh, my nephew, Max Domi, was the MC. Go figure. Uh, speaking of Toronto, he's excited to be playing for Toronto again this year. Uh, he's a hometown Toronto boy. When I got a request to uh, become part of the podcast, Andrew, for Toronto Legends, I thought they had me mistaken for somebody. Um, I don't think of myself as a legend, but thanks anyway. Uh, Yeah, Kingston, uh, I love its geography, first of all. It's where Lake Ontario meets the St. Lawrence meets the Cataraqui River. We're surrounded by water, and I've always lived near the water. From my King and Bathurst condo, I could see Lake Ontario. It was always important to me uh, to live near the water. I love the water. Kingston is halfway between Toronto and Montreal and Ottawa, so geographically... You know, I went and saw The Cure three weeks ago in Toronto at Budweiser Stage. Um, I took a train in, so I love being close to Toronto that way. The Tragically Hip are from here. And there it is, a very vibrant music and art scene. There's a lot of poets here, a lot of writers here in Kingston. People are great. They take care of each other. Um, there's a lot of charity events throughout the years where goals are always exceeded. It's just a beautiful community. It's it's a, a smaller town, obviously. It doesn't have the population like Ottawa or Montreal or Toronto, but it does have of a, sort of a small town vibe to it. Restaurant, most number of restaurants per capita in Canada, just always great p- places to eat. And uh, I, just, I just love it here and didn't know how much I'd love it when I moved here um, after Ottawa. I was in Ottawa for six years at the CTV affiliate presenting the weather and being part of the morning show in our six o'clock news before that uh, was given a package. They're still laying off people across Canada, media companies. Um, so I couldn't work for a very lengthy period of time. Uh, when that was up and I could work, I got a phone call to come to Kingston and I've been loving it ever since. I love everyone I work with and I think that's
0: very important in, in any job situation. Well, that's excellent. And I, I love Kingston too. So it's great. You really been enjoying it there. Now, you have a 35-year career behind and in front of the camera, but it would be nice to please go all the way back, get the Bill Walichka story, where were you born, and describe your upbringing. Hmm. I'm the youngest of six kids. I was born in Welland,
1: Ontario. Uh, It's near Niagara Falls. And uh, I got into my older brother's record collections very early. Snuck into their rooms and would play a lot of records on their stereos and stare at album covers, read the liner notes... In grade two, saw the Bay City Rollers on TV and just the live music had a huge impact on me. I love the way music was directed, the screaming fans, the sound mixes, the lighting presentation, the camera angles. I just became enamored by music in general and um, all through grade school. Friends would always know me as the music guy. I was always listening to the radio and poring over music magazines, and it was just a big part of my life. Never a musician, though, just a fan of music. And then um, my parents separated when I was in the fourth grade. My mom moved to Richmond Hill, and so it was closer to Toronto. Fell in love with Chum FM and uh, Q107, and Chum AM was playing pop back then. And uh, yeah, again, college, huge fan of music. It became a badge to me with artists. Uh, pictures in my lockers, band doodles on my notebook, patches on my jean jacket, buttons of bands on my jean jacket, Uh, and music, that love of music and the importance of music in my life has never stopped. It's the first thing I listen to when I wake up. It's the last thing I listen to before I go to bed, and uh, that uh, love of music has never waned, which is important to me because I think a lot of people, as they get older, sort of lose that passion about what excited them when they were a young person. There's no reason why a band that didn't excite you when you were 15 or 16 still can't excite you. And I mentioned going to see The Cure in Toronto a few weeks ago. Robert Smith is 64, still looks the same. He can get away with it because he's got the hair and the eye makeup and the lipstick. But there was a lot of 20-year-olds at that show, a lot of 60-year-olds at that show. And uh, that's the power of music. It can bring people together together. It can elevate you, it can make you happy, it can be a friend when you're down, and it can influence your uh, personality. So yeah, music has always been very important to me, and to be working for a music station when I did was a, was a happy accident, and I'm glad it was there, though.
0: Totally well, glad. Well, you clearly have been passionate since your early days, and I agree with you. Everything you're saying, I was I, just a few weeks ahead of you at the same Budweiser stage. Saw Neil Finn in Crowded House. Mm, who cares about Crowded House? The place was packed. And just what you said, Bill, it was interesting. There was my our vintage, the old people, and there were young people who weren't even around when their songs first came out. So it is very interesting. Did they do a lot of split-end stuff? Uh, no, they didn't. And I, I have a feeling uh, maybe there's a tension within the band. Stick to your lane because, as you know, he's got quite a solo career and then split ends. And in the past, when he's been on solo, he's done a lot of that stuff. So, But it was still a great show. Every every song was a hit. After moving to Richmond Hill, you went to Thornley Secondary School. Shout out to my cousin, Lisa Applebaum, who was also a grad of Thornley. Do well, I know her? I don't know. Uh, you're probably around the same time. If you know an Applebaum, you'll know her. She's loud like me, so... Lots of Applebaums for Thornhill. But for your last year high school, Bill, you had to jump into quite a difficult thing when you are a teen. You went to a new school in Barrie. My mom at the time wanted to retire thinking about retirement
1: she bought a house just uh near barry you know for parents out there with young kids don't take your kid out of high school halfway through high school and move somewhere else uh and we might as well move to jupiter if that's the case because they they need their friends they need their f- familiarity and uh, that's what i felt like uh, i was like visiting a different planet halfway through high school uh, but again music became a, a lifesaver back then right would come home and Miss my friends and write a lot of letters. There was no internet back then, so you couldn't send an email or do what we're doing here. Yeah, I got through it. And uh, at the end of high school, became interested in television where I wanted to shoot. Really wanted to be a videographer and fell in love with editing in college for Seneca Radio and Television. It was a radio and television course. And the week I uh, ended up graduating from that was the week I got hired at Much as an editor. And uh, to this day, I still love the behind-the-scenes stuff. Love it. I love editing. It appeals to my mild o- OCD in that when you edit, say, an hour special, you're working with lots of footage, pictures, music, interviews, and just the idea of placing things in a certain way to tell a story,
0: I still get a kick out of that. Love it. Well, that's the interesting part, cause of course, Bill. We think of you as on camera, Bill. But as you note, as soon as you graduate in 1988 from Seneca College's radio TV arts program, that same week, you started Much Music as a video editor. Now, previously, you had been volunteering there, also working at a bakery, also going to school. You must have thought you went straight to the pros. Uh, yeah, I was working in a Mr. Donut. Remember
1: that chain? I sure do. Yeah. You do your homework very well, by the way. Where are you? Are you around? Are you looking at me right now? Are you following me? <laughs> and uh, working at Much, volunteering at night, uh, what I was doing was dubbing all of much music's videos for music plus they were broadcasting out of that building and they were getting ready to move to montreal for their own facility and so i had to make sure that i had to dub all of much music's videos for music plus for their move so they'll have copies of everything again yeah this is videos this is beta beta cam tapes uh this is pre-digital so yeah, the week I graduated, I got hired at Much, uh, no more volunteering at night, and I got hired as an editor,
0: and all the, all the worlds were aligning perfectly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mm-hmm. perfectly. They'd already moved from their Tidy Cramp building, 99 Queen Street East, to the iconic 299 Queen Street West building. Much has, yeah. Who were the VJs already at Much when you joined? When I got there, it was Steve Anthony, Christopher Ward...
1: And Denise Donlin was doing the new music on City TV at that point. Laurie Brown, Erica M., Michael Williams. And uh, yeah, those were the guys that I was watching when I was in high school watching much music when it first launched. And so years later, to be working in that environment with these people who I saw do interviews was a nice little kick. I really didn't spend a lot of time with them at that point because I was in an edit bay. But yeah, when they had projects to edit, I would sometimes sit with them. Yeah, that brings back a lot of memories
0: to those people's names. Well, that's so surreal, Bill, to go from watching them on TV to then working with them. You did go from the edit bay to an on-air role in 1992. How'd you make that transition? Mm. Uh, In college,
1: I became a big country fan at the time. It was about the only genre of music I hadn't really listened to. Uh, But I think in 86... The debut records of Steve Earle, Randy Travis, and Dwight Yoakam all came out that year. It was the start of this thing called the New Traditionalism Movement. And basically, it was country music. Just prior to that, it was a very watered-down form of country music. Uh, They tried to be poppy. It really wasn't working. We're talking like Kenny Rogers and Oak Ridge Boys. But uh, these guys came out in 86 embracing a specific era of country music and it was honest and it was pure and it was beautiful and when i discovered these cats i went back and found out about johnny cash and george jones and waylon jennings conway twitty and really did my homework so when i started at much i was a fan of a lot of different kinds of music rock of course classic alternative and now country and hip-hop i submitted a proposal for a country show we were getting in all these country music videos And really, much wasn't playing them. And I thought, this is a missed opportunity here. Uh, I'm the demographic of a much viewer, and I love country. Why not a country show? Submitted a proposal to John Martin, our director of music programming. Uh, One ended up going on the air a few months later. I'm not saying I had something to do with it, but uh, I'd like to think I put the idea in his head, and he went with it. And uh, Outlaws and Heroes was born. I got asked to work on the show as an editor and help produce it program it and then when um, the co-host the host at that time was Denise Donlin and after a couple of years she went away on mat leave I was asked to take care of the show as the editor of the show but also hosting it while the host was away when she came back viewers loved it and she said let's co-host together and I said sure and that lasted uh, only a few months because she became the boss the director of music programming and so I was hosting outlaws and heroes Solo for a couple of years before uh, it got dropped because CMT was introduced into Canada at that point. Country Music Television, the network, and they felt a ninety-minute weekly show couldn't compete with a whole new network, so they moved me over to regular flow programming. And but all during this, and to this day, I still haven't walked away from the edit bay. But <laughs> well, it's good. You got to keep your skills up to date, as they say.
0: Yeah. And Now I'm a I'm an online editor, Amazing. digital editing. Still learning, and I love it, though. Now, Bill, in 2000, you moved over to Much More Music. What was Much More Music, and why did you slide over there? Um,
1: we submitted a proposal, or Chum did, for an adult version. That sounds like it's a dirty station, a lot of triple X movies. Uh, an adult sort of contemporary form of Much Music, uh, M.O.R. music, middle of the road. What I realized is Much sort of became all about the presentation of the music. Uh, we had a Spice Girls day. I had to be posh, spice, dress up like Posh Spice. Rick Campanelli, Rick the Temp, he was a uh, sporty spice that day. And it got a lot of ratings. Spice Girls at that point you know, were huge. So we did a whole day of Spice Girls programming. And I just thought, you know, as much as I love music and doing interviews, I don't like how music was being presented on much. So I asked to be part of this newly launched channel, Much More Music. And got asked, was told, yep, okay, uh, you're moving over now. And so, uh, through a little party live on much, it was great. And um, I like to think I helped a little bit in the changing of the direction of much more music. I think uh, I, I introduced a little bit of a furthering of the parameters. It wasn't leaned on anymore. We could play Pearl Jam, Fawn and uh, But again, the focus was the artist, the focus was the music, and not necessarily the presentation and music interviews were allowed to breathe a little bit more. uh, And I was digging that. And I stayed there until around 2005. I had realized, well, one, I missed the live element. Much more music was predominantly taped. We would do some live presentations, Prince, Janet Jackson, Lisa Marie Presley, Sting, but predominantly it was taped. But we did, like I said, have some live things. But I noticed uh, right across the board with much too, a lot of interviews started to become tightened and shortened. It's sort of just the way the entertainment business was going. Everything was about the soundbite, the 10-second soundbite, and you know who was screwing who, who had cellulite, who was in rehab, and not so much about the artist or the craft of music anymore. And a good example is coming back with a David Bowie interview, a great sit-down with him for 45 minutes, and with the goal of an hour special, and I was asked by... A boss there denny stalin had moved on by then sadly but the new boss is david bowie gonna get a is he gonna get ratings is a bowie special gonna get ratings remember <laughs> oh boy i'm not gonna train you if you don't understand who david bowie is you're heading up the wrong stations man and so i just i uh, thought okay i'm done with music journalism um And ended up taking a position to go to Edmonton for the newly rebranded City TV. Uh, Became a morning show host out in Edmonton. And I loved that chance. It was something I've never been exposed to. And, uh, you know, tried to reinvent myself. There was a period where I didn't want to be a music journalist anymore. Wanted to do something else in television. It's all I've ever known was television. I knew I wanted to stay in television. Just didn't know what kind of focus Uh, From Edmonton, I went to Ottawa, became a weather specialist. Loved doing that. And then, like I said, after six years in Ottawa, I'm here in Kingston for the last 12 years. So that's sort of my life in a nutshell from much to much more to these other things. You know, to some people, I've fallen off the face of the earth who only knew me from much or much more on a national level. Hey, I'm still
0: here. Still doing television. (laughs) It's never changed. Still here, still thriving. You got to spread your wings, try all these other skills. I know you're really careful to call yourself a weather presenter so as not to get nasty feedback from those who are accredited meteorologists. Good point. Absolutely. When I moved to Ottawa to take
1: on this weather presenter position, I had expressed those concerns to my boss who hired me. And I said, why aren't you hiring a meteorologist? He didn't tell me this but I think, well, one, it would have been more expensive. But his idea was that he wanted to form a 6 o'clock news team of personalities that people liked and people were familiar with. And so we had Ken Aver, uh, who didn't go to school for television, but he was an ex-CFL star, brilliant broadcaster, it turned out to be. He was one of my favorite people in Ottawa, such a funny guy. And Sandra Blakey was our 6 o'clock anchor. Uh, A great newsie. Uh, She came from a great background of news journalism. And the three of us were thriving as uh, our six o'clock news team. Ratings started to climb and climb where it was about to surpass. I remember one ratings period about to surpass their heritage station. Long held dominance uh, in Ottawa of their heritage TV station, uh, which was later also owned by CTV. And the rumors that I heard at the time was that CTV couldn't have their heritage station be overtaken by this newly acquired TV station. And so they killed our six o'clock news, a lot of layoffs. They moved some of us to uh, the morning show. And I did that for a few years until there was uh, lots of layoffs, lots of people that I loved, uh, who I truly respected and adored, uh, lost their jobs, And eventually I dodged a few bullets, bullet found me eventually. And like I said, I signed off on a package where I couldn't work for a long period of time, but at the same time, my mother was dying of cancer in Barry. And, uh, you know, the old adage, things happen for a reason. You never know it at the time. I was bitter that I lost my job, that I was let go. But then looking back all these years later, it's like, well, I had a whole year to spend with my mom driving back and forth from Ottawa to Barrie. And about a month after she passed away, like I said, I got a job here in Kingston. And so, yeah, things happen. Do Things do happen for a reason. You just don't know it at the time why, and it's not
0: until years later where you can look back and go, okay, I get it now. Well, now you've been more than a decade in Kingston, and being in Kingston also gave you an opportunity to renew your friendships with some of the guys from the Tragically Hip who you have interviewed more than anyone else in Canada, going all the way back to 1995, was it preordained that you would one day end up in Kingston? A friend of mine here stated that she
1: found this old footage of me visiting Kingston in 1995. And uh, it was in the middle of winter, and the shot was, I did uh, an afternoon of flow, of video programming from here. Uh, Came here to interview the Mahones, Finney McConnell, at the Toucan Pub. And while we were here, we are also interviewed a guy named Rob Watkins, who was a self proclaimed king of craft dinner. Apparently, this guy ate craft, he had eaten I don't know how many boxes of craft dinner, still eats it. And I've seen Rob since i moved here since that interview in '95. Uh, doesn't look like he eats a lot of craft dinner, though. He's very thin and he's a musician, too. Everyone in Kings is a musician. It's odd. Uh, everyone knows each other. It's funny. But preordained, interesting. Um, there was a lot of inroads made over the years to Kingston. I remember hosting a much music video dance party in probably in 96. One of our engineers at work still has a much music video dance party t-shirt. I might've tossed it out into the crowd back then and he ended up catching it. But uh, yeah, the hip thing I've, yeah, I've been interviewing the guys since the mid nineties. I was a fan of the hip before even interviewing them and interviewed them a lot while I was with much and much more and coming to Kingston um, you always see the guys at events or you know some functions. They do a lot for charity. They always have done a lot for charity. Rob Baker and I used to be neighbors in my condo uh, in downtown Kingston. I'm now in the East End. And uh, I consider myself quite lucky and uh, honored to be sort of part of a inner circle of family and friends. Uh, I remember visiting the bathhouse, their studio in 98 or no, it would have been 2000 and one or 2002 to interview Widemouth mason uh they were there to record a record that was my first time at the bathhouse the hip studio and uh, since then been living in kingston i've had parties there been there with rob baker and paul Langlois many times and um it i'm like a kid when i walk into the bathhouse it's just there's so much magic there within those walls uh, yeah i just finished writing a book uh it's out in august Paul Langlois has done the forward for it. Very honored for that. I cried
0: when he emailed me his words when I sent them to the publisher. Well, let's jump right into that. Your autobiography is coming out soon, entitled Bill Willichka, A Happy Has-Been, Exciting Times and Lessons Learned by one of Canada's foremost entertainment journalists. Had this book project come about because I'm going to assume more than one person told you, Bill, you gotta write a book.
1: I've been hearing that for a long time. I would say... Uh, I would, my answer would be, well, I'm, I had a monthly column with the Kingston Wick standard for about four years. When they first moved here, they asked me to write a monthly column just about my life and experiences in media. And I did that for around four or five years when I I thought, okay, I'm done writing about my life. I don't think anyone cares. It ended up being syndicated around Canada, these columns. And during COVID, I got asked to do a lot of podcasts uh, talking about the nineties And stuff and other stories started coming to the surface that I was expressing. I just started writing all this stuff down. And one day I just started writing and that was, uh, late 2021. And by the end of last year realized, I, I think I have a book here and formatted it into chapters, cleaned it up a little bit, um, and sent it to some publishers. And, uh, some publishers came back saying they love it. They want to do it 2024. And I thought I really, really want it out in 2023 that coincides uh, it turns out it coincided with a much documentary that's going to be released in September and it was the 35th year of my anniversary in working in media and uh, so yeah the book is out in August the month following it's the premiere of 299 Queen Street West the documentary on much by Sean Bernard and
0: Erica M so it's an interesting interesting year for sure Definitely lots going on. Now I watched the three minute sizzle reel on YouTube that is promoting your autobiography. And the first thing that jumped out was that it was a historical documentation of your hair. Long, short, straight, permed. Bill, I'm jealous as today. Not only do I have nothing, but I also have no proof that I once had great hair. You have documented proof of your hair.
1: That's the beautiful thing about television. It's out there. There's no, no running.
0: Yeah, I had long curly hair. I've never had a perm
1: though. I don't know where you get that idea from. It was always curly. I had straightened it for some things actually, but uh, yeah, very, very long hair and it was curly. It just, it ended up costing a fortune on shampoo and conditioner. I decided to just cut it one day. From that the time be- actually that John Bon Jovi cut his hair, Jeff Tate from Queensry cut his hair. We were all cutting our hair around that time. And I still have hair. I don't know what
0: happened. Um, I'm grateful for having hair. It's out there. The second thing that jumped out was the absolutely stunning variety of entertainers that you have met and interviewed. All of them smiling and laughing, by the way. Madonna, Mick Jagger, Oasis, ACDC, Johnny Cash, Mm -hmm. members of the Beatles, David Bowie, Led Zeppelin, Garth Brooks, and Prince. These stories are going to be amazing. You had to, were they all fresh in your mind? or You you kind of have to think, think, think as you wrote the book.
1: A lot of it from memory. Some of it, um, I had to go through a lot of old tapes. I used to save some of my things and man, I wish I'd saved everything that I was proud of. Some things are gone forever. Uh, Sean Minard has uncovered a lot of stuff in his search through the archives. When Chum was sold to CTV Bell and to Rogers, uh, I think CTV took over that 299 Queen Street building. I was hearing rumors they turfed a lot of master tapes. Um, I've heard stories. Some, of, some people were rummaging through dumpsters looking for a lot of these old classic interviews. Not just mine, but years and years of archived interviews. Uh, some were saved, and Sean Menard, I think, had access to a lot of that old stuff. And it's going to be interesting to see what he has uncovered for the documentary. I haven't seen the doc I'm looking forward to it. I was interviewed for a lengthy period of time, uh, so I'm pretty sure I'm in there somewhere. I don't know. Um, I like to think I am. I've been invited to the red carpet in September. Uh, I'm excited to see a lot of other VJs. Yeah, so I managed to save some things on VHS, and years later, I transferred them to digital, and when YouTube came along, I thought, okay, I think I have enough stuff here for YouTube, for a channel. And other people have sent me stuff that they have had over the years or that they have seen on YouTube somewhere. I do have, I used a lot of those files to look back, recount some moments from interviews, and uh, give some quotes where I needed them. And uh, yeah, YouTube came along. And for one thing, it's beautiful in that all the stuff is out there, or most of the stuff is out there somewhere. But some say YouTube killed much music. Who needs a music video channel when you can just go to YouTube and type in The Cure, 100 years, and up comes a classic video uh, at your fingertips. So yeah, YouTube, I love it. Uh, It's how I get exposed to a lot of new music now. And it brings back a lot of memories in some cases. And fortunate to post some of my things where people have commented and said, like, people from around the world, wow, I haven't seen this interview with Prince or Janet Jackson.
0: Wow, great job. So that's 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 a huge kick, a huge thrill. As you mentioned, the foreword to your book was written by the Tragically hip's Paul Langlois. Why did you ask Paul to write your foreword? I know I wanted a big name. I know I wanted
1: someone who people loved and respected. And in Canada, most people's first answer when you say, name a band, that represents Canada, that people love and who are respected, people will cite the Tragically Hip for good reason. I think uh, over the years, um, I've become close to Gord Sinclair and Baker and Johnny Fay and Paul angua and Gord Downey as well. Uh, I might well up a little bit when I talk about Gord and the boys because I just love them so much. And, um, yeah, Paul just seemed, um, we were talking about something else and the book came up and I just asked him outright. And I said, feel like doing a forward. I'm writing this book. And he says, yeah, I'd love to. So, uh, at the time when I needed his, the forward to send, to send the, uh, version to the publisher, uh, I emailed him. And I said, Hey, but, uh, I, I'm going to need this by the end of the week. I have to send it off. He sent it to me, uh, within a few days. He was in Costa Rica with his wife, Joanne. And he sent me this beautiful, forward and I didn't touch a word but what I love is the idea of this mental picture of Paul Angois sitting on a beach somewhere uh, having a smoke with a beer on a laptop. I, I get a huge kick out of that.
0: That's great well'll be looking forward so you say August is when we can look forward to this book
1: yeah Uh there's is up now but the actual availability of the book will be in August. It's a slow rollout through the publisher and Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And then at retail, I think four to six weeks after it's available online. Excellent. Well, that's great. And I'm not going to make any money from this book. If uh, a lot of the proceeds from the book, actually, I'm going to donate to uh, the White Ribbon Campaign, which is men coming together to end men's violence against women and women's shelters across Canada. So, yeah, this isn't a money-making venture for me. It was fun to write during COVID. And uh, it's for people that, you know who have asked me about it for many many years and it's for people who might have enjoyed much many years ago uh, to bring back some memories and it's for people who think I'm dead a happy has-been
0: still here if you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview with Bill Welichka please check out the more than 150 additional episodes available anytime we got Rick Campanelli Glenn Baxter Cheryl Hickey Gord Martineau Wendy Mesley and Ted Wallachin. How They Did It, directly from the Toronto Legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7-365, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's talk about some of those happy memories. Prince rarely gave interviews, but he in fact requested you for his intimate and interactive in 2004. Now, Bill, you were shocked that he even knew who you were. But he lived in Toronto, and I guess he did know you from TV.
1: Yeah, it didn't really hit me until after this little episode happened, and I thought, well, it was so weird. What happened there? And I realized, you know, he might have watched me on much or might have seen my stuff on much more music. And, uh, yeah, Much More did a uh, live broadcast with Prince and his band where he played, he was interviewed, we had a live studio audience, which feeds into that that awesome energy. And he had a great time, no sign of any... Prince weird affectations we've heard about over the years uh he was a great interview subject he was honest he was funny he's very intelligent but earlier in the day I went down into the studio just to check out how the set was coming along So I was walking out of the studio uh he was coming in with his band and I sort of stood aw- stood in the doorway to let them go by and Prince eventually showed up and he was walking by he looked at me and he stopped and uh he, he went like this he bowed and he went. Hello, Bill. How are you? It's going to be a great show tonight. And I says, Yeah, it sure will be. It's going to be awesome. Uh, And he says, I'm a big fan. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, thank you. And then off he went. And um, I remember thinking to myself, Wow, it better be a good show. Because if it's not, those little guys are going to kick my ass. I don't know. So nothing but the utmost respect for Prince. Who didn't listen to... Purple Rain growing up, if you were of that age, in the 80s, and uh, all those amazing hits, work he had in the 90s. Yeah, truly uh, an artist that I respect and adore, and uh, certainly miss, like a lot of other Canadians.
0: Well, another guy that you respect and adore, you had a very strong working relationship with the late David Bowie.
1: I interviewed him enough over the years. um, Some artists really uh, frightened me. Uh, that they're just so intelligent and esoteric. Gord Downey's a good example of that. David Bowie, too. And I don't know, I just had a streak of good luck with David Bowie interviews and fun moments, laughter, deep moments. And uh, just over the years, he enjoyed... I enjoyed our time together, that's for sure, but also I know that, that he did. And the beautiful thing about all that is it's all on tape. You know? Yep. I have all this stuff, and... Again, this is when I mentioned sneaking into my older brother's rooms when I was in the first or second grade to pour over albums. Uh, he certainly was one of them. And uh, long, long, amazing, amazing career where uh, he did what he wanted to. And that's pretty rare in this business. And
0: just, I, I love Bowie so much. When you do as many interviews as you've done, Bill, they can't all be winners. Uh, Blur was a bit of a dud for a nineteen. 19- I know all this stuff. Well, I know that Blur in 1997 did an intimate and interactive, but they didn't actually want to do the interactive part. Yeah. Um, They were hyped as
1: coming for an hour to sing and play that much would often do and, uh, you know, open it up to questions from viewers or faxes. Uh, I don't think we had emails back then, even maybe we can open up emails. I don't know. But I know we had faxes come in from viewers with questions. And uh, yeah, they played, they did a great performance when it came time to the interview segments for that hour. Yeah, they the Damon just wasn't into it. I've interviewed them before where I've, you know, been a great interview. So I don't know what was going on. Just a lot of mumbled yes or no's to answers. Nothing you can do. Just you know, throw to a viewer question, come back, ask for a follow-up. Couldn't wait for them to perform so I can sort of get my head together again. Uh, and it was live, right? So there it is. Yep, this interview sucks. There it is. Enjoy it. Anyway, after the broadcast, the road manager came up to me and said, "That was awesome, man. Good job." And I, th- I thought, "What are you talking about?" I said, "I really don't, didn't really like the broadcast. I don't think it was that great." And he went, "Oh man, this was way better than the one we did yesterday. We were in Montreal. I guess they were at Music Plus the day before, two days before." He goes, "Yeah, that one wasn't very good." I <laughs> can only imagine how bad that one was. Oh, uh, compared well, to the one we did. But yeah, that's about the only sort of maybe negative experience I've ever had. I've been very, very, very lucky. I've watched a lot of interviews that was like watching a car crash. I've learned a lot from editing others' interviews. And uh, that way, I think I've had pretty good teachers.
0: Well, Bill, you certainly know the credo. Uh, Don't meet your heroes because it certainly comes with risk. You're not sure if they're going to disappoint you or if they're going to meet your expectations. But let's start on the positive side. Who did you meet or interview that exceeded your expectations? Oh, man, everyone we've
1: just talked about, for sure. Jagger is a difficult interview, I think, from what I've seen. Uh, but we had a great time. That was a lot of fun. Uh, any legend that you can think of, and that ranges from, to me, a legend might even be Cheap Trick, and I love that band. Always had a great time with Robin and Rick. The Cure, Robert Smith, always a hero to me always a great interview and perfect circle moment. I talk in the book actually about a lot of perfect circles and what they mean to me and the idea of having, you know, the Cures picture in my locker in high school. And then years later, having to interview Robert Smith many times to work on our special, it was a perfect circle. I had Ozzy Osbourne's patch on my jean jacket in high school. Interviewed Ozzy many times. Always a funny interview, a great interview. And it hit me on his private jet somewhere over Pennsylvania. Like, I am really fortunate here. This is I have a great gig. Got to be on the road with him for a few days. I love Blue Rodeo. Traveled with them on the road on their bus for a few days. Yeah, I've been very lucky. I've managed to probably meet every single one of my idols. Quickly in my head, I thought, Who's a band? Oh, I love Fleetwood Mac. I don't think I've ever interviewed. Her. No, I've interviewed Mick Fleetwood and Lindsay Buckingham before, too. Yeah, I can't think of any artists. Maybe currently, I would love to interview Lady Gaga. That hasn't happened, but she's about the only person I've never interviewed where I really wanted to. Met a lot of crushes as well, which is
0: awesome. Well, I don't want to put you on the spot, Bill, but the flip side of this coin is someone you meet who you go, Oh, boy, I just... I actually wish I hadn't met them because it ruined the whole you. Was there anyone who was a real dad and let you down?
1: No, nope. uh, like I said, I've been very fortunate. I wish I had a great answer. Um, they've all been great, even when you have met someone that really didn't jive with. Uh, I always give it a second chance. Maybe they're having a bad day. I like to think David and Albarn from Blur. I don't know. You might have stubbed his toe that morning. He was in a miserable mood. He missed, didn't have enough coffee that morning. But no, I've been very, very lucky that way. And I'm glad I don't have a lot of negative stories because I didn't want the book to be that. I wanted it to be positive. I wanted it to be something where people can look look back and read and get something out of it. And so, yeah, there's not a lot of dirt in there. There's a little bit of dirt, but not a whole lot. But uh, even when they're apparently uh, a dick, uh, it's a funny interview. I'm talking about Liam Gallagher from Oasis. Interviewers are frightened of this guy. They consider him a hooligan. Last time I saw Liam, man, he gave me a hug. And I freaking love Oasis. So, um, never, uh,
0: rarely, rarely, rarely a bad experience. Well, that's excellent. Now, Bill, you covered the World Music Awards in Monte Carlo Monaco, six years in a row. What were your biggest memories from that? Mm, just the traveling. And then, of course, in Monaco, up
1: here, just east of Nice, on the Mediterranean, Côte d'Ivoire, uh, you drive a little bit east, you're in northern Italy. You go a little bit north, of course, you're in France. So one of the things about much that I loved is the opportunity to travel, and that was a, a great gig six years in a row. Long weeks, you're covering all these, <laughs> sounds ridiculous, Yeah. Oh, poor guy covering all these cocktail receptions at the palace and, uh, and on these yachts. Oh, tough gig. Oh, they're long days, you know, having to interview some people two or three times in the same week. But yeah, lots of memories from that gig. One year, Cher uh, won an international award, interviewed her backstage and found out when we did live on Much with Cher, she had requested me because she was familiar with me from our interview in Monaco. Uh, That was fun. I'm really sort of the anti-cocktail reception guy. I'm not very comfortable around, you know, I can dip my toe in that water if I have to cover champagne cocktail receptions and be all hoity-toity. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm happiest in a pub. And um, one year, the Goo Goo Dolls were there at the World Music Awards. Johnny Resnick and I just ended up occasionally at the same pub at night when everything else was done. So uh, that was fun. I remember one conversation we had, I was trying to explain, uh, I think they opened up for The Hip somewhere in the U.S., and uh, they couldn't understand how the hip was so big. They just didn't get it. So I remember schooling Johnny Resnick one night at the pub on, on why the hip is so good. Uh, I don't know if he ever if I ever changed his mind, but don't ever try, try that about the hip. Moses Snymer, a genius ahead of his time. Moses. Yeah, absolutely. He was a visionary. I think that's one word many people will use as an adjective to describe Moses. You know, think of YouTube. He was doing that with Speaker's Corner. Years before, just this platform where he gave everyone a chance to have a voice. Uh, The idea of interactivity was always his. The idea of diversity was always his. You know, we hear about the importance of uh, embracing all the cultures all around us, whether gay or straight. Uh, Doesn't matter what religion, doesn't matter what background, doesn't matter what color. Moses was doing that, man, in the 70s and 80s. Like I said, a true visionary. His his love of television and knowledge and passion for television and a passion for creativity is contagious. And I know there were some people that might have had you know quiet battles with Moses over the years on uh, how to do things and uh, you know his way of expressing something might have been cryptic in some ways or it might have been uh, you might not have agreed with it, but in the end, it was his his kingdom and uh, I. Fortunately, got more out of Moses in terms of learning than I think a lot of people might have, and nothing but, uh, nothing but love for Moses to this day. I'm hoping he's watching or hearing this at some point, because uh, he hasn't been told enough by m- me and by others. Thank you. Thank you for what you did for television and
0: for music television. Thank you, Moses. Well, everyone I've spoken to on the topic, always, same words, call him a visionary, now, Denise Donlin was clearly a positive influence on you. I can use all those adjectives on her
1: the same way that I described Moses. And uh, yeah, this was someone who loved music as well, and who also was a genius when it came to television, and a genius in creating interviews as well. Not to mis- mention her just love of the business. She just knew the business implicitly, uh, both behind the scenes and in front of the camera. And uh, she was an early champion of mine way back when. And uh, I have nothing but love and respect for Denise, too. So, Denise, if you're watching this as well, uh, you're in the book, baby, um, for good reason. One of my favorite people of all time
0: and one of the smartest people I've ever met, for sure. Now, Bill, 20 years has passed since you left the world of Much. How frequently does someone come up to you on the street and go, Hey, you're that guy from Much. This happens on a daily or a weekly basis? A weekly basis. Um, I'm not exaggerating. That's the beautiful thing I think about
1: much is younger people, when you watched it, or even older people, you watched it intently. You watched the music. Music has that impact. But uh, for some reason, the presenters of the music for those eras meant a lot to people. And it, it took a long time to wrap my head around. Man, I'm not special. I just I interview people, I throw to music videos. But um there are some people who've told me that they grew up watching me and it's odd, you know, I was never the cute one or the wacky one or the political one on much. Uh hopefully what you saw was someone that loved music and loved putting together television specials and loved interviewing. And um for some reason, I guess some people were drawn to that. I suppose in a tiny way. But to this day, and it never fails. Doesn't matter, um, You know, where I am, I could be at a gas station. I could be anywhere in Canada. And someone will say, oh, my God, much music, much more music. I used to watch you. And sometimes it's, what, you're still alive? Uh, where Where are you now? But the funny thing about Kingston, a lot of older viewers, way older than me, don't even know that I had a career before here. And that's a huge kick where, you know, viewers that I will meet somewhere... And say, I've been, uh, friends have told me about you on MTV. What? What's that? And I know no, it's much music. It's a music channel I used to work at for a long, long time before here. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people who, uh, have followed my career from day one and I still hear from them. doesn't matter where I am. I'll get emails from someone who used to watch me on much way back when. So, uh, yep, there's all kinds of different people out there that have different memories of what they were doing when they were watching much or where they were. And to some artists too, Avril Lavigne
0: said, I grew up watching you. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it just makes you feel old. That's the only problem with that.
1: Oh, I hate it. <laughs> I tell people, you know, I'm still 29. I don't care how old I get. I'm 29 <laughs> again this year. I just had my
0: birthday a few weeks ago. Guess how old I am? I, I turned 29. 29, it's a great age to be. Mm -hmm. Now, Bill, I have to ask, who do you get mistaken for? And I'm going to guess it is Glass Tiger's keyboard as Sam Reed. (laughs) I've never heard that one. No? Uh, That's funny. There was a while there where I,
1: Rick Campanelli, Rick the Temp, George Strombolopoulos and I uh, were all interchangeable, I think. I would get Rick, Rick would get Bill, I would get George, George would get Rick. Uh, It was just, it was weird. Thankfully, that's doesn't happen anymore. I'll take Reed. Sure. That's awesome. Uh, I've gotten to yeah. an before, which I don't see. There's one guy in Kingston that looks like me. You know how when you're told that you look like someone, you don't see it? I don't get it. There's one guy in Kingston that I ran into at an event uh, last year, and I looked at him and I go, oh, my God,
0: you look like me. And he goes, I get that all the time. He said that we all have a doppelganger somewhere, as they say. Somewhere. It's been great meeting you, Bill, getting all your stories. Let's close off with you just reminding us about your two big projects. Your book, Autobiography, comes out in August. It's entitled Bill Wilichka, A Happy Has-Been. And as you mentioned, the Much Music documentary called 299 Queen Street West from director Sean Menard is coming on a Canadian tour along with former Much Music VJs such as yourself. Tell us about uh, what you're looking forward to as you finish up summer and get into the fall. I love meeting viewers, I still do I love it,
1: I love um, embracing the idea that someone watches Uh, I've always been honored for that, I've worked with enough egos over the year where they think they're doing the viewer a favor by being on their TV screen, I've always maintained the viewers doing us a huge favor by watching, so that's why I've always loved meeting viewers, and um, hopefully on the road with the doc uh, I'll meet uh, more viewers who have something to say about those days and they'll be reminded of in what many cases are the good old days for some people. Um, they were to me. They were special days to me, man. So uh, we can share some memories together. Yeah, the book is out in August uh, online and uh, eventually at retail. billwalichka.ca for all the information on the book. And the film is out in Toronto in September. There's a cross-Canada screening tour. Uh, and then that'll be... When that's done, it'll end up on Crave nationally and internationally. So... Enjoy all the mediums, if you Excellent. if you want to get closer to Bill, <laughs> you'll know why you would. But there's uh, lots of chances to get in the fall. That sounds creepy. I'm sorry.
0: That's I think it's good. Lots of Bill coming your way. Too much. <laughs> uh, great meeting and talking to you. And I want to uh, wish you continued success.
1: I appreciate it. You're onto something here. Uh, it's a great forum you have, man. If you talk about Toronto legends, you got to talk to Denise Donlin and Moses Neimer too.
0: Absolutely. And to the listeners, on behalf of Bill Walicka, I am Andrew Applebaum saying thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast.